Uh, if you had a desire to waste more time on the internet, which I'm sure you do, um, I have found a new website. It's called hadonejob.com, right? So, you know, this is kind of a meme that has gone around. You had one job, right? And you had one job memes can cover all sorts of things. Sometimes they're building construction, right? Where somebody obviously puts in a door backwards or puts the wrong window into a frame that obviously fits a different window. Um, this one drives me insane. <laughs> Tiling mistakes are very common. There was another one that had like, uh, the tile like had the image of a woman and her head was sideways because someone didn't bother to put the tiles where they're supposed to go. Uh, that's always bothersome. Uh, these are funny. <laughs> a movie that you can uh, now it own. Not own it now, but now it own. And did you catch the mistake in the other one? This is really funny to me. But it takes a second. Yeah, yeah, all the buttons are Coke and Sprite and Coke products, but it's a Pepsi machine, right? Someone's clearly stocked it with the wrong thing. Uh, these are also great. Whenever the sale price is higher than the original price, right? If you sell a $22 bottle of wine for $27, that's kind of funny. <laughs> also, um, save over $0 because it's like a one penny difference or something, yeah. Are they? <laughs> Are they both CVS stickers? Oh, okay. Um, and then there's manufacturing mistakes, right? Where clearly someone has just not assembled something right. And it's funny to me because when we look at these things, I think there are two kinds of people in the world. Some people look at those mistakes and they go, oh, wow, that guy needs to be fired. Right? Like there's a terrible, horrendous mistake and you're like, someone needs to be held accountable for this mistake. And then other people are just kind, merciful souls and they go, now come on, give them a break. You've never had a bad day at work. If you sewed the eyeballs on $8,000, are you telling me that one of them wouldn't be sideways? And we get this dichotomy that we often have between... Um, our desire to be merciful and kind to people when they make mistakes and our desire to also hold people accountable for doing their one job, right? This can become a little more real um, when you have someone that you're trying to help or someone you're trying to support. Uh, often this is a family member, right? The kind of person where you can tell they need something and so you try to pour some water in their bucket, so to speak, and you just discover that that bucket has holes, and then maybe you repair one of the holes and they create another hole, right? And you get this idea of, I want to help you, yet every time I try to help you, you sabotage yourself. Maybe that family member that you're always like, yeah, here's a little loan, help you get back on your feet. And then the next day you see they bought a jacuzzi and you think to yourself, wait a second, I was helping you get back on your feet, you know? Like people that just make chronic mistakes. People who are given new opportunities are shown mercy and then immediately make bad decisions so that they're in a place where they need your mercy once more. And it can get frustrating. Um, maybe you've had this in a sibling relationship, right? This gets really annoying when there's one sibling that mom and dad are always helping out and the other responsible ones like, what's the deal? This is the story of the prodigal son in some ways, right? 
He's a, he's a screw up. He messed up all the time. I'm here and I'm helping you. Why is he getting helped out? And this can even cause us animosity in us. And it's a real problem because we deal all the time with situations and people. We've talked about this with like panhandling and homelessness. We can talk about it with our families. We can talk about it with friends, uh, fellow church members even. What is this line between I want to show this person mercy and to help them in their need and every time I help them, they just waste it. They need to be responsible. It's a, it's a parenting challenge. When do you let your kids let something slide because they're having a hard day? And when do you say, you know what? You need to take responsibility for what you've done. And it's interesting because this is a problem that we face with Jesus even. Some of us have uh, more than the other one of these images of Jesus. One is the Jesus who holds sheeps and pet sheep, not sheeps. Sheeps isn't a word. Uh, who holds, you know, a little tiny sheep. I'll help you, sheep. I'm a good shepherd. I love you, and I will help fix your mistakes, and I'll cuddle you, and I'll be good to you. And then other people have an image of Jesus that sits on a throne and is like, nope, you messed up. You're going to hell, right? Like, and those, neither of those are healthy. They're both you know, very extreme uh, versions of Jesus. But in our passage today, um, we're going to see Jesus directly wrestle with this problem. How do I show mercy, but also ask for responsibility? And it's an interesting passage. Uh, starting in John 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. I forgot to say, verse 3 in many of your Bibles is just a footnote. We think that it probably is not original to the text. The reason it was added, however, is the chapter makes very little sense without it. So I've just gone ahead and put it in here because what happens is it, doesn't, it just doesn't make sense without it. So I've added it in, even though I don't think it's original, the reason somebody put it in in the first place was to make the passage sensible. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. One who had been uh, an invalid for 38 years. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Um... But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. 
All right, so we get this story. It's a little bit of odd circumstance. Um, for our modern scientific understandings, it's probably a little troublesome. Exactly how this works. An angel comes down. The water starts bubbling up. First guy in the pool gets healed. If nothing else, it's a very odd survivor situation that God is kind of providing, right? Like this is Darwinian miracles. The fittest, the, the most fit, unfit person is apparently the guy who gets healed. This seems a little bizarre. But nonetheless, they believed that this pool could heal you. And they had this guy who's been here for 30 plus years. And so Jesus comes to him to help him out. And he asks him some kind of interesting questions and some questions that are, um, they can almost feel a little unfair. Like Jesus isn't being particularly nice to this guy. Uh, I want to take a moment to try to build a little bit of a character sketch of what this invalid was like, what this crippled man was like. Uh, the text doesn't tell us much, but I think we have some clues. We know that he was uh, apparently unable to move, unable to get around. We also know that he asks Jesus for help. It is interesting that he has no friends to help him out. Um, this could be a man that has suffered great tragedy, or it could be a man who is immensely annoying, right? We don't have any reason for why he has no friends. We don't know why no one will help him out, but there's at least a possibility that it's because he's such a pain in the neck that people go, I'm not even going to help you get better because I don't want to have to sit around and wait with you for this water to get stirred, Right? Uh, there's something, for some reason, this man is alone. We don't, we don't know why. Um, he does do what he's asked when Jesus says, pick up your mat. He does. But I would have you note the lack of responsibility when he's carrying the mat. The Jewish leaders say, why are you carrying their mat? And he immediately goes, well, I don't know. The guy that healed me made me do it, right? <laughs> he immediately blames this on Jesus. Jesus made me carry my mat. Don't get me in trouble. Hey, I'm just trying to stay under the radar. And then when he, uh, he also doesn't ask Jesus' name, you would think that if someone had healed you from a 37-year ailment, that you might at least go, thank you, what's your name? Can I do something for you? It appears that this guy got up and was like, hey, bro, thanks, and just took off, right? Uh, and we know that this happens. We have a story of 10 lepers where nine of them are healed and they go, ah, and they run away and they don't even bother to say thank you. Um, finally, and the part I think that really tips us off at the kind of guy this person is, when he does find out Jesus' name, what is the first thing he does? He runs to the authorities and goes, oh, hey, the guy that was, the one who was at fault for me carrying my mat because it was not my fault that I was carrying my mat. Yeah. His name's Jesus. Go get him. And so I imagine this guy who, when he, when Jesus says, hey, do you want to get well? He's like, well, nobody will help me. And then, well, why are you carrying your mat? Well, this other guy told me to. And then as soon as he gets Jesus' name, he's like, yeah, it was his fault. Get him, right? Like, he's just kind of passing the buck at every opportunity he has. And I probably don't get there without Jesus' statements. But when we put them together, the way Jesus talks to him, and then these behaviors, we kind of get the sense of somebody who just doesn't, He's not grabbing life by the horns, right? He's just kind of trying to sulk around and get away with stuff. And in that context, it's interesting to hear Jesus' comments to someone like that. Jesus speaks three times to him. The first time he asks this question, do you want to get well? Right? This strikes us immediately as slightly insensitive. If we saw somebody on the side, um, I mean, it would like... You know, um, uh, maybe you've seen this meme on Facebook, 
right? With a guy with a, a, a homeless guy with a, a, a sign asking for money. And there's like a Walmart manager next to him with a sign that says help wanted. It's like, ha ha ha, see, this homeless guy doesn't really want to get any better. And so it kind of can feel like that. But there is a truth sometimes that sometimes we don't want to get better. At the very least, we don't want to do what it takes to get better. When I hear Jesus say, do you want, uh, do you want to be healed? I hear him speaking to us. I hear our complaints and maybe his responses. Jesus, I wish that I wasn't struggling so much with my bills and my finances and my money. And Jesus goes, okay, do you want to start to make a budget? Do you want to start making good decisions with your money? Well, I just want you to provide enough that I'm not in trouble, right? This is where, uh, this is actually a Dave Ramseyism I like. You can't outspend stupid, right? Like more money is not necessarily going to fix your problem if you're not good with how you spend your money. Uh, maybe we go, Jesus, I just wish that you would fix these broken relationships in my life. And Jesus goes, okay, do you want to apologize for your role in them? Do you want to sit down and have hard conversations? Do you want to go through counseling? Do you want to do the hard work? Or do you just want me to fix it for you? Maybe we come and say, Jesus, I wish that I was healthier and I felt better. And Jesus goes, okay, do you want to look at your diet? Are you willing to start exercising more? Are you going to start listening to your doctor? I just want to be closer to you, Jesus. I want to have a closer relationship with you. Okay, how much time are you spending with scripture and prayer and meditation and silence? What distractions are you getting rid of so that you've got space to have time with me? I think in all of those ways, Jesus looks at some of the things we want to be healed of and he goes, that's fine, but do you really want that? Do you want to do what it takes to be part of that solution? Or are you just wanting me to bestow it in a golden chalice dropping down from the heavens? Right? Because sometimes that's the way we are. We say, God, I want you to fix this. And he goes, well, okay, I'll do 90% of the work. Can you do the other 10? And we go, I'm really busy this week, right? And there's a part that we can play. God believes in divine and human cooperation. Um, it's just the way things work so often. And so when we say, I want to be healed, I think sometimes Jesus goes, well, do you? Interestingly, after saying that, the second thing he does is he heals them. Right? I don't know if he took his answer as genuine or if he knows this guy is not telling the truth. We don't really know. There's lots of reading between the lines. But it appears that whatever's going on, Jesus still heals him. And this isn't totally surprising. This is the nature and character of God. Right? Um, this is a famous passage we've talked about a lot from Exodus chapter 34. God is kind of self-defining himself in this place. And God says, you know, who am I? The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfasting love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Um, the way that we kind of, you know, just to boil this down, 
God says, my character, my nature is to forgive you and to give you second chances. And I am quick to forgive and I am quick to let go. Do not think that that means I will ignore justice, but justice is my second impulse. It is the impulse after only my grace has been tested time and time and time and time again. And we see this with this man. Whatever faults he may have, whatever doubts Jesus has when he says, do you want to be healed? Jesus still is quick to forgive, quick to show mercy. And so he allows the man uh, to be healed. The third thing he says, though, is the real kicker. You need to stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. Um, this is something that most of us probably don't say, right? You, you probably have never had somebody who's like, hey, I just came back from the doctor and all the tests are negative and I'm okay. And you go, awesome. You probably should stop sinning so you don't get in that spot again, right? Like that would be a very nasty or abrupt thing to say. Uh, we need to be clear that the Bible does not say two things, okay? The first thing the Bible does not say is that all suffering is the result of your sin or your misbehavior or doing bad things. Job is about this, right? They say, hey, anything, anytime something bad happens to you, it's your own fault because it's kind of like um, Jewish karma is being taught in Job, right? And Job goes, no, that's not the way the universe works. Just because you're suffering does not mean that you deserve it. The second thing, however, the Bible says is it also does not say that 0% of your suffering is your own fault, right? It's one thing to say suffering is not necessarily the result of your sin, but it's another thing to say your suffering never is a result of your sin. Jesus makes it very clear here, sometimes it is. Sometimes the reason that you're suffering financially is because you've been stupid with your money. Sometimes the reason that you're at the doctor is because you did something bad to hurt your body, right? And that these things happen and that it is not beyond God's willingness or capability to occasionally give you something bad in your life to get your attention. And we don't want to, this is, so this is always hard, right? Uh, we don't want to um, inflict pain on people really suffering for no reason, but we also can't be negligent of this. I was talking to a friend who was a minister and he said he has a good friend who was suffering with um, just a lot of issues. And this is a guy for years who has cheated on his taxes, cheated on his wife, just a very not upstanding individual. And now this guy is suffering through um, cancer actually. And he asked my friend, do you think God did this to me because of the way I've lived? And the minister said, I'm not sure, but maybe, <laughs> right? This is something that Jesus is very clearly here. Stop sinning or something worse is going to happen. Uh, and this is really obvious when we do things like when you are a glutton, heart disease is eventually something that comes down the road, right? Um, there, there's, there's some of these things where our sin has a very obvious knock-on effect. But in this case, Jesus says, you know what? You are your, worst, your own worst enemy. You are causing some of your own problems. You need to start making better decisions, being more responsible for yourself. Um, I think that this kind of can be applied a couple ways. There's a couple ways that we can look at this text and place ourselves. The first way is we can place ourselves in the spot of Jesus, okay? If you are in Jesus' spot and someone is coming to you for mercy— 
Are you making one of these two mistakes? It's possible that you're just a mean person and that when somebody has hard times and they're saying, I need help from you, you're like, I don't care about helping you. You should have fixed your, like there's just no sense of graciousness and kindness and mercy. It's possible though that you're a little bit the opposite way too. That people will just use you over and over and over and over again. And there's never any impulse in you to say, wait a second, what are you doing? Um, these are both a form of abuse in a way, right? There's the abuse of just being hard on people and yelling at people and just constantly being in their face and having no compassion for them. But there's also this sort of enabling abuse where somebody continues to do destructive things and you help them get there, right? And there comes a point where you just cannot continue to help them do things that hurt themselves. And so this is a real balance. In this room, we probably have, I'm sure one or two of you are right in the middle and you're always just in the way that you act. But I'm guessing some of us are a little more a drill instructor or a little more a hippie, right? We're just a little more tough and gruff on one end or we're a little more like, okay, whatever, right? On my parenting style, I am sure I am far tougher and gruffer than I necessarily have to be because I'm like, listen, there's enough irresponsible people in the universe. I refuse for my children to be one of them, right? You know, like you are, take responsibility for yourself. And this passage challenges us to be like Jesus. Jesus manages to show this man great mercy and heals him and helps him, but he also doesn't let him get off scot-free with whatever it is he's doing. And that balance is very difficult for us to deal with. I will say that given the character of God, the mercy side generally wins out over the other side. Um, you know, in the end, healing someone from a lifelong ailment and then going, behave better, right? This is not exactly a perfect balance. There is a lot more mercy there than judgment. But still, Jesus doesn't just let it go either. And so when we work with people, this is our challenge. How do I show them kindness and mercy and grace, but at the same time, refuse to allow them to keep doing things that are harmful to themselves? Uh, then you can put yourself in the spot of the guy who's getting healed, how are you going to deal with your hard times? There is a temptation for us to wallow around in the mud and go, oh, I'll never get better. Everything will always be terrible, right? Jesus comes to the man. Do you want to be healed? Well, I can't get in the water because nobody will take me to the water because I have no friends, right? And Jesus is like, okay, come on, let's go. Show a little bit of initiative. The way that I, I kind of want to say this is that I think that this experience of this man and Jesus, when this man stood next to Jesus, Jesus told him, I want you to take help and I want you to take action. A lot of us are good at one of those and bad at the other. Some of us will fix our own problem no matter how incapable we are of fixing our own problem. Others of us will let someone else fix our problem, no matter how capable we are of fixing our own problem. And Jesus here says, I want you to take my help, but I also want you to take action. I want you to have some role in this. I want you to take responsibility, but I'm going to help you along the way. And it's really important that we do this well. Um, this is part of the reason the church exists, right? Is so that we can get help and we can get action. Um, 
If you've got some decision you're trying to make, asking other people, we have smart people in this room. There are times where I've said, hey, we should do this. And someone in this church building goes, no, I don't think that's a good idea. And you've helped me that way, right? That's what we're here for. And so there's this important balance of getting help from other people and listening, but also taking responsibility for doing what you can. And Jesus is kind of running that balance with this man. Um, I think it's, there's no way to get past the fact that Jesus is not super happy with this guy. He's frustrated with him. The opening question, do you want to get better, followed by stop sinning or things will get worse. None of this suggests that he thinks this guy is living his life the right way. And it's interesting that how Jesus shows him kindness and mercy despite that gruffness and that respond, you know, holding him responsible. In the end, I think what it comes down to is Jesus is annoyed at this guy's behavior because of how it's hurting himself. Have you ever been in that spot with somebody? I love you so much that I'm angry at you. I love you so much that the things that you're doing that are making your life miserable bug me because it's you hurting yourself. And I like you too much to let the bad part of you hurt you. I don't know if I'm missing any of that sensibly, but you know, like this is a place that Jesus gets to with this man. Uh, I'm going to speak clearly here because I do not want your sin to continue to make you suffer. Uh, This is the way God deals with us often. If you would just listen, if you would just do what you're supposed to, if you would just stop being selfish for one minute, things would work out better for you. Um, ultimately, you may have something in your life that you would like to be different this week, that you would like to have changed. And um, all I would say is, hear Jesus and listen when he says, you know, stop the sins so something worse might not happen. Get rid of the stuff in your life that is helping cause that problem, but then also accept help from other people to get those things better. All right, Q&A. What did you guys want to ask about the sermon or the passage or any of those things. Yeah. I, had, I remember I had a conversation with somebody once and they were wanting some solutions. They said, well, I said, well, we could do the, I mean, the same thing. Option A, option B, option C. And what's really great is when it slowly devolves into like conspiracy theories. I'm like, well, I know that there's option C for people in your situation where people will help. And he's like, yeah, whenever I go to those people, they just hate me. So they won't give me the help they say they'll give me. I'm like, oh, okay, so this entire government agency or this entire like or operate you know, this entire organization that exists to help people like you. You walked in the door and they're like, Yeah, I hate you. And they're just not gonna help, you know? Like it is amazing how every institution in the world that's there to help you doesn't like you. You know, and it just it's because yeah, it just it builds and builds. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that that's really interesting of some Sometimes we define ourselves by our problems so much to the point that we don't want to get rid of them because we wouldn't know who we were if we didn't have that problem.